Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Reckless. One thing about my grandmother is that she loved to go off book when it came to buying presents. This resulted in me having some fairly interesting toys when I was a kid. Ones that I hadn't even heard of, but somehow she managed to dig up. Things like weird Star Wars and G.I. Joe ripoffs. But then sometimes she would buy me things that were just the other version of the popular thing. So if I wanted laser tag, she would buy me Photon. When I might want Transformers, she would buy me GoBots. And that's exactly what she did. One year, for my birthday, she bought me two GoBots. Leader One and Psykill. Now I'll say two good GoBots to get, and I was pretty excited to get them at the time. The Transformers weren't on my radar. She had just heard of the GoBots on TV and thought, oh that would be fun, I'll get him those. I also think they were quite affordable, and so they made a nice little gift that she could give me. Being the first of my friends to get GoBots, I showed them off to my friends, and since they were small I carried them with me almost everywhere I went. That included when I went up to my uncle's house to spend time with my cousins. Of course when I arrived, I showed off my GoBots, but then we got wrapped up in doing other things, outdoor activities, and the GoBots were left aside. After being there for a couple of days, I was supposed to head home, and the problem was I couldn't find my GoBots. We looked everywhere for them, and couldn't dig them up. We thought maybe one of the dogs had gotten them. The sad thing was, I had to leave without my GoBots, and on the drive home, I was really sad, but my uncle was quite reassuring. He said, well, they gotta be somewhere. When I find them, I'll bring them to you. That seemed to satisfy me, although I was kind of sad because I was still in that phase where I was showing off the toy to people and was enjoying that moment of being the only one who had those toys. I really only had had them a couple of days. So I got on with my life. About a year later, I was up at my uncle's again, and my cousin and I were playing something, and I noticed in his room he had two GoBots, Psykill and Leader One. And I thought, well, those couldn't be my GoBots, could they? And so I asked, I said, hey, did you find my GoBots? And he quickly said, no, 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 those are mine. I got those after I had seen yours. I was disappointed, but I thought that seemed normal and natural. The thing is, I would find out later that those were my GoBots. And it was said to me sort of jokingly that they had been really into my GoBots and my cousin had wanted to play with them so badly that he hit them and then he felt bad. As I've grown older, I've learned that this is not uncommon. I lost quite a few of my childhood toys in this method, including a, a teddy bear that I still think about a lot. But I would find out that with the complicity of the parents, that these toys were held by the kids who had them. So it's not like a sitcom where a parent hears that their kid did something wrong and tells them that they have to do the right thing. Instead, they don't force their kid to do the right thing. And at my young age, that was a shock to me and it has stuck with me for a very long time. I never collected the GoBots. The Transformers would come around, and my friends got into them, and the GoBots were quickly forgotten. But I wonder, if I had had the GoBots, would it have changed things? Could I have influenced my friends? Might they have wanted to play with the GoBots instead of getting the Transformers because I had already anchored my collection in the GoBots? The chances are low, but there's always a maybe. But that decision was taken away from me by a kid who wanted to play GoBots, and 
Being a kid as well at the time, I can't say I blame him. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about the GoBots. We'll talk about the toys, how they came about. We'll talk about the cartoon, the movie, the video game, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. GoBots got their start, like many great transforming robot toys, in Japan in a toy line called Machine Robo that was released in 1982 by Poppy, which was a part of Bandai. It would later be reabsorbed into Bandai. But they have an interesting history. It was founded in 1971 and would remain a spun-off unit until 1983 when it was pulled back into Bandai proper. And the company's name is a play on the words hope and happiness. Now, they had to move at a fast pace because they were originally founded to produce products that wouldn't be in your normal toy stores. They would instead be in things like candy stores. So they had to move at a very fast pace and selected a group of designers and engineers that could move at a fast pace. But they quickly determined that the fastest way to move product was to license characters from popular anime and live action. So that would give them their original success, and they would use that success well, eventually creating their own toy lines that weren't based on existing intellectual property. Now, what would become the GoBots was marketed as Machine Robo, although in other areas of the world, you might see it as Robo Machine or Machine Men in the US and North America. They would be the GoBots. Now, the story of their origins is very different back then, not as fleshed out, as we will see when they become the GoBots. Now, before they became the GoBots in America, they did reach the U.S. shores as machine men, but were a failure. And so they partnered with the U.S. toy maker Tonka and decided to change things around, changing the origin story, changing the name, and we get what would be the modern perception of GoBots, which is the good guardians versus the evil renegades. Much like the Transformers, they would change the story behind them. In the Japanese toy line, they weren't sentient robots. Instead, they were piloted mecha. The first Tonka GoBots would be released in 1983, which is a year before the Transformers, and probably explains why a lot of media thought that the GoBots were being first to market, going to be the ones who would win. Now, most of the line was taken from the Machine Robo 600 series, which are these two to three inch high, so a good deal smaller than a lot of the Transformers, or at least the ones that are very memorable. And much like the Transformers, they transformed into a mixture of machines, sometimes old planes, sometimes jets, cars, you name it. They did make larger figures, these five to six inch tall robots, as Super Gobots, which were also drawn from the Machine Robo line of toys. This also included larger versions of the original toys. So if you wanted a bigger version of Leader One or Psykill, this is where you would get them. 
Now, it doesn't mean that Tonka just sat there importing stuff without creating something new. They did make some toys for the line, including the Guardian Command Center, which stands out. At the time, I thought it kind of looked like an AT-AT from The Empire Strikes Back. So Tonka didn't just import stuff. They worked on the playsets and changed up a lot of the designs that were coming over. When they did get released, they were initially quite popular. But right on the horizon, right after them, Hasbro was working on a line of toys, the Transformers, and quickly would overtake the GoBots. So they would start in 1983, and by 1987, they stopped making new GoBots, although you could still buy them. In a, I guess, sort of weird twist, in 1991, Hasbro would acquire the rights to the GoBots from Tonka, although they haven't really done that much with them. And that has to do with who owns the actual designs. Although there have been some fun insertions of GoBots into the Transformers continuity. Are you a fan of the Retros podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retros Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retros Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. They would do an attempt at a spin-off line of GoBots, the Rock Lords, and released a major motion picture around that, GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords, and that would get its own toy line, and we'll talk a little bit about the film a little bit later. Before I move on from the GoBot toys, I want to talk a little bit about Tonka. Tonka started as a company called Mound Metalcraft, which was a gardening tools company. They started in Mound, Minnesota, hence Mound Metalcraft, in 1946. When they started the company, they started in a building that had a company that had manufactured toy trucks, amongst other toys. But that company, Streeter, wasn't going to make toys anymore. So they talked to Mound Metalcraft, and Mound Metalcraft thought, well, this could be kind of a fun side business. So they modified the design of the toys, put on a new logo, and began selling metal toys. And quickly it became their primary business. In 1955, Mound Metalcraft changed its name to Tonka Toys. In 87, Tonka made a big move and purchased Kenner Parker, which included the United Kingdom toy company Palatoy. Big deal. They paid over a half billion dollars for it. Unfortunately, the cost of doing this was too much, and Tonka had to find a buyer for itself, which is how they were bought by Hasbro in 1991. Eventually, Hasbro would begin licensing with other companies to distribute Tonka trucks. And that licensing continues to this day, with Tonka being made by Basic Fun, who also makes things like Lincoln Logs and Care Bears. Over the years, Tonka would create other things that weren't cool metal trucks, things like Supernaturals, the GoBots, the Rock Lords, Maple Town, and of course, a very memorable toy line from the time, the Pound Puppies. forget the day your home was invaded by Super Gobots, each sold separately from Tonka. Much like the Transformers, there was a lot of thought that went into how they were going to market these toys. And because of change to regulation during the time, companies could make cartoons that were basically long commercials for toy lines and just about anything else they wanted to. And so Tonka decided that they would go with an animated series and they created Challenge of the Gobots. 
It was produced by Hanna-Barbera and began its syndicated run in September of 1984. In 85, it would join the programming block of the fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera. And for many people who grew up after that, you'll probably remember it running on the USA Cartoon Express. All aboard! When kids just want to have fun, you'll find them jumping aboard the USA Cartoon Express. Weekdays at 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. So I haven't gotten into the details of what the GoBots are about because I thought I would talk about it here. So the GoBots dealt with two forces of transforming robots who are from the planet Gobatron. The Guardians, who are the good guys, and the Renegades, who are the bad guys. The Guardians are led by Leader One, who's plain, and the Renegades are led by the evil Psykill, who is a motorcycle. Psykill. Get it? They were a bit different than the Transformers, because they didn't count on certain realistic stuff. All of them could just fly around. They would shoot energy blasts out of their hands. Unlike the original Transformers, right from the start, there were female GoBots. Although they didn't look that different from the male GoBots, instead they basically had female voices. As you might expect, the series started focusing on the main characters, much like how the Transformers started. The idea would be that you would have the show, introduce the characters, and then as the toy line grows, you remove certain characters, rotate in new ones, and grow the toy line from there. Every episode needs to be a commercial. Unlike the Transformers, it wasn't clear by looking at a robot. If it was a good guy or a bad guy, you had to consult the package and know the name. So they didn't come up with something like a rub sign or an insignia. So you didn't have a guardian signature or a renegade signature. It's a complicated story, even more so than the Transformers, I think. But the GoBots have been battling it out on GoBatron. And then they make their way to Earth, the 80s, and they take the battle there and rope humans into it. The animation on this is quite different than the Transformers. Looks different, feels different. It feels more kiddish and... It feels more familiar to me at the time because it was made by two companies. The one that probably most people are going to know right away is Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera was an animation studio and production company that was around from 1957 to 2001, founded by Joseph Barbera and William Hanna. That studio produced many great television cartoons, including The Yogi Bear Show, The Jetsons, Wacky Races, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, The Smurfs, and probably, most notably, The Flintstones. And all those great cartoons would bring in eight Emmy Awards over the years. Now, they became a big hit because suddenly there was this great need for Saturday morning cartoons. But then there became this new market of weekday afternoon programming of syndicated cartoons. Kids would run home from school, turn on the TV, and love to watch cartoons before doing their homework or not doing their homework. So Hanna-Barbera became a valuable property, and they would be acquired by Taft Broadcasting, who would hold on to them until 1991. At that point, Turner Broadcasting System acquired the studio, and they used that back catalog of incredible material to make a very famous thing, the Cartoon Network. So if you watched the Cartoon Network in its early years, it was a lot of Hanna-Barbera stuff. Nowadays, there really isn't anything being made by Hanna-Barbera, although they do use the name for copyright and marketing purposes. The animation itself was done by Cuckoo's Nest Studio, or as it became known, Wang Film Productions. And they would work with a lot of studios, including Disney and, in this case, Hanna-Barbera. It's a Taiwanese-American animation studio that was founded in 1978, and they do 2D animation for lots of TV shows, not just in the U.S., but in Asia and Europe. 
It was started in 1978 as a subcontractor for Japanese animation studios who wanted an overseas facility for American animation, most notably the work of Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera would actually send someone over to help set up the company, a guy named Jerry Smith, and eventually would come to own half the company. The company started with just about 50 employees, but that would grow very quickly. Now, the reason they would use a company overseas is it was cheaper. But as wages started to grow, so did the demand, because they couldn't produce the things as cheaply as they did before. But they still kept cranking out material and would work on many of the cartoons of the 80s and 90s that people love, including Garfield and Friends, The Care Bears, DuckTales, Courage the Cowardly Dog, the Peanuts specials, and they even helped produce some of the effects for Tron in 1982. The list of things they worked on is huge. If you grew up in the 80s and into the 90s and you watched animation, there's a good chance that you were watching work done in that studio. As you might guess, if you've listened to anything I've done about animation, there is a pretty big cast involved in this cartoon. Over the years, a lot of the sort of regular people that you would expect to be a part of lending their voice to shows. So I'm going to try to go through these pretty quickly, hit some of the highlights, starting with Frank Welker, who was the voice of Scooter, Blaster, and many others. Frank Welker, born in 1946. He's a prolific voice actor, probably best known for one of the things that he started out doing, which was the voice of Fred Jones in Scooby-Doo. Fans of the Transformers, though, are going to know him as the voice of Megatron, Galvatron, and Soundwave. So here you have a talent doing work for the GoBots, then crossing the street doing work for the Transformers. Although it's probably the same recording studio. Bernard Erhard voiced Psykill. He worked in movies like Death Stalker and Walking the Edge. For voice work, he's probably best known for Psykill. Although he also gave voice to Cryotech in Visionaries and King Morpheus in Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. Arthur Berghart was the voice of Turbo. For watchers of One Life to Live, you'll know him as Jack Scott. In animation, though, he was not only the voice of Devastator on the Transformers, but the great voice of Destro, Stalker, and Iceberg on G.I. Joe. Great voice. I was looking up Arthur Berghart, and I should have made this connection. In the eighth season of Seinfeld, there's an episode called The Pothole, where they're on this expressway called the Arthur Berghart Expressway. I never put it together. Even though I'm from that area, I'd never heard of an Arthur Berghart Expressway. They named the Arthur Berghart Expressway after Arthur Berghart. Peter Cullen, another great Transformers voice, played Pincher, Spoiler, and Tank. He is best known, though, for voicing Optimus Prime in the Transformers, but he also voiced Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. Monterey Jack in Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, and many others. Dr. Braxis was voiced by René Abergenois. Abergenois was born in 1940, passed away in 2019. He was an actor, director, best known to science fiction fans for his work on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where he played Odo for many years, but he was in so much more than that. Big performances on the stage, where he would earn three Tony nominations. As a screen actor, he has over 200 credits. In addition to appearing on Deep Space Nine for years, he was Clayton Endicott on Benson. He was Paul Lewiston on Boston Legal. In movies, he played the original Father Mulcahy in MASH. He was Chef Louie in The Little Mermaid. Just an incredible talent, taken from us too soon. Dick Gautier voiced Bugsy and Claws. Gautier was born in 31. He passed away in 2017. He was a singer, actor, comedian, probably best known for his work on Get Smart, but worked in theater and TV and movies. He's a great guest on game shows back in the 70s. Has a great name, Dick Gautier. 
Phil Hartman gave his voice to Baron Von Joy. Hartman was born in 1948, passed away in 98. Probably best known for his work on Saturday Night Live, where he was for many years. He was also a member of the Groundlings and helped Pee Wee Herman develop the Pee Wee Herman character and the Pee Wee Herman universe. He would play Captain Carl on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Really talented guy and sadly died early. Rounding out the cast, you had Paul Eiding, Bob Holt, Philip Clark, Marilyn Lightstone, Sparky Marcus, Gail Mathis, Lou Richards Jr., B.J. Ward, and many, many others. Set a course for Earth. The robot invasion continues. Every weekday, the forces collide. Gobot Renegades, Gobot Guardians, Leader One, Psychill, Turbo, When you watch the GoBots, one thing that stands out is the music, which was composed by Hoyt Curtin. Hoyt Stoddard Curtin was born in 1922, passed away in 2000. He was a composer and producer, best known as the musical director for the Hanna-Barbera Animation Studio. Hence, his music is all over the Hanna-Barbera universe. He not only worked in cartoons, though, he did a lot of composing for TV commercials. It was there that he met Hannah and Barbera and would start on their TV show, The Rough and Ready Show, in 1957. Shows he would work on include The Jetsons, Johnny Quest, Super Friends, The Smurfs, Scooby-Doo, The Flintstones. You can go on and on. A fun fact about him is that he was also the composer for two of the songs you hear in the background of Plan 9 from Outer Space. He didn't appear to be too proud of that, but that's pretty notable. The show would run from September 8th, 1984 to December 13th, 1985. Now, just because a show was released in September doesn't mean it was playing everywhere. We wouldn't get it in my area until October 22nd, 1984, and it was on at 3 p.m., So if you wanted to watch it, you had to book it home really quick. Reviews at the time by adults were not very good because they're adults and they don't really understand what's attractive about the show. But one thing's for sure, if you watch any media at the time, there was a big talk about this big transforming or even just regular robot craze. And all of these adults thought, oh, the GoBots are going to win. And I often wonder why, and I think it might be that they thought the price point, because it was lower than the Transformers overall, that that would win kids over. But really, all that's going to win over is adults who don't watch the cartoon and don't play with the toys. They just didn't get it. Challenge of the GoBots will return after these messages. So I had to do some digging to find this, which was a guide from the time of my area that was showing what was playing during the day when the GoBots was on. And normally... During the school year, you would miss some of this, but really the programming for kids started a little after 2 in my area at 2.15 exactly, for some reason. They would start showing Popeye. Now, if you were home by 2.30, after Popeye, they would show the Flintstones, and that was on Channel 5. And on Channel 11, they were showing Scooby-Doo. Channel 11 is the important one for the GoBots. Then at 3 o'clock... On Channel 5, you would get Inspector Gadget, and on Channel 11, the GoBots. And so you had to make that choice. If you were home, are you going to watch Inspector Gadget, or are you going to watch the GoBots? Which is a tougher decision than you might think. If you had Nickelodeon at the time, they were showing Lassie, so some retro TV there. And on TBS, they were showing Battle of the Planets. So it's starting to get competitive, especially if you have cable. At 3.30, Channel 5 showing Woody Woodpecker. 
Channel 11 showing Heathcliff, and I loved Heathcliff, so I'd be running home to watch Heathcliff. Huh. HBO was showing not necessarily television and video jukebox. That'd be good. Okay, so then TBS has shifted to Heckle and Jekyll, so some classic TV there. At 4 o'clock, you have Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids on Channel 5, and this is around Halloween. So they're also going to show the Fat Albert Halloween special. On Channel 11, you got Voltron, Defender of the Universe, though. So that's a tough decision. Oh, on CBS, they're showing Rockford Files, which is great for classic TV fans. Oh, and there's this other station on cable that's showing He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Wow, it's really hard. There was so much good programming for kids. But if you're on regular stations, Channel 5 is showing He-Man at 4.30. So you really could, if you had cable, watch back-to-back He-Man. Channel 11, though, has shifted to Happy Days Again. Finally, at 5, we are out of the cartoon world, and we are showing the Dukes of Hazard in reruns and Little House on the Prairie, which is, I guess, when my sister would take over. She loves Little House on the Prairie. Although Nickelodeon is showing Danger Mouse, and HBO is showing Fraggle Rock some days. So on those days, I'm fighting for the TV to watch Fraggle Rock and probably Danger Mouse. He's the strongest, he's the quickest, he's the best. So that was what was on TV at the time. In total, they would make 65 episodes and run for two seasons. One short season that sort of kicked things off, and then a second season that was much fuller. So most of the episodes are focused into the second season. Because it was going to be Halloween, I'm looking at the guide, and on the other side of the page, there is a toy warehouse that has Halloween costumes that are going to be sold. The adult costumes are going to be about 15 bucks. And you could be a mouse, a clown, a maid, a priest, a devil, a nun, a hobo, or a convict. Those are the adult ones. Not a lot of choice. Although there are some assorted professional masks that include superheroes, werewolf, devil, old man, lady, and monster. And then here's the real fun part. They have the assorted children's costumes from Ben Cooper and Collegeville. That includes the GoBots, which are listed first, the Transformers, Masters of the Universe, Rainbow Bright, and then they have generic robot and superhero listed. They also have these 44-cent discount closeout costumes that include Monchichi, Mork from Mork and Mindy, the Dukes of Hazard, Chips, Annie, Western Barbie, and my favorite, Rubik's Cube, which is pictured here. So that's pretty great. There's some fun stuff here. They're selling My Little Pony. Ooh, Snake Mountain from Masters of the Universe is $39.99. Trivial Pursuit is $24.99, and you can buy assorted Jedi figures, as they call them, for $2.69. Well, that's pretty great. Now, back to the challenge of the Gobots. Various episodes of the series would get released on VHS, as well as Betamax, by Vestron, under their children's video library label. But then in 2011, the Warner Archive released Challenge of the Gobots, the miniseries, on DVD which was a manufacturer on demand. Eventually, that would find its way to Amazon. Then in 2014, they would release Volume 1 of the series on DVD. That's a three-disc set that has the first 30 episodes of the series. And then they would release Volume 2 in 2015 with the remaining episodes. That is where I got my collection of GoBots. They used to be streaming in a bunch of places. Not so much anymore, although... I do hear tell that if you go to the Internet Archive, you might be able to find some episodes of the GoBots there. So with all these cartoons based on toys happening, people were very happy to have them on TV, but they also wanted to put them on the big screen, and Tonka and the GoBots were no different. So in 1986, they released GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords, which is an animated film based on the GoBot toy line and the future Rock Lords toy line. 
there would be new voices in this film, including Roddy McDowell, Telly Savalas, and Margot Kidder. You might know Roddy McDowell from Planet of the Apes. He also was a prolific actor, not just in film, but television. Telly Savalas, Kojak, and you probably know Margot Kidder as Lois Lane from the Superman movies of the 70s. Margot Kidder actually gets top billing in this film, which is pretty great. She's a great actor. So I am going to read from the Battle of the Rock Lords Good Times video box here so you can get an idea of the plot. The GoBots, television's amazing, transformable superheroes, star in their first full-length feature film, GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords. It's wall-to-wall action and high-tech fun as the mighty GoBots join the Rock Lords' battle for control of the ultimate superweapon. And they'd better hurry, because the GoBots' all-time worst enemies, the Renegades, are out to use the superweapon for their own evil purposes. Battle of the Rock Lords is a GoBots lover's dream come true. Rated G. Approximate running time, 74 minutes. And this is a copy from 1993. Reception of the film wasn't great. And it didn't perform very well. I'm not clear what the budget was for the film, but its total box office was $1.3 million, which seemed to be a pretty major disappointment for the studio. It also didn't get a wide release. It would take a while to drift into my area, which is why I never got to see it in the theater, sadly. Now, the Transformers film and the GoBots film were both being made at the same time. So the idea that they influenced each other, as people would kind of suggest at the time, doesn't really hold up. Looking at my local paper at the time, there is a review of it by staff writer Will Joyner, so not Lou Luminick this time, who talks about a couple of films, Police Academy 3, Hamburger, and GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords. And he's not raving about the film, but he actually has a pretty measured take on it. He says the animation isn't bad. At times, the straight lines and sharp angles of the characters and their craggy terrain bring to mind Russian constructivist paintings. And he sums it up and says, All in all, though, such a saga would best be left to the imagination of children who can create fine scenarios for their own GoBots. I think this is a pretty good review. It's surprisingly positive for my local paper for a cartoon about transforming robots. Sadly, though, the film wasn't playing anywhere close to me, or I probably would have still seen it at the time. Instead, at the local theater in my town, we had the six and the four plex. At the six plex, they're showing nine and a half weeks. Crossroads, Just Between Friends, Pretty in Pink, which they're calling Pretty and Pink, Hannah and Her Sisters, and Down and Out in Beverly Hills. At the fourplex, you have Gung Ho, Hamburger, the movie, Police Academy 3, and The House, as they're calling it, as opposed to House. The closest place I could find this movie would have been way too far for me to go to get to see it, sadly. They were showing it a kitty matinee that my mom would never have taken me to. Although, just two towns over, they were showing Sleeping Beauty with Disco Mickey as well. So if I was going to choose, I might have asked to go see that. Disco Mickey. They would start showing the Care Bears at the theater later in the week. It doesn't appear when I went forward and looked that I could find any mention of this film coming to my town, which is why I would eventually see it on VHS. I would see it at the video store I worked at and would rent it and watch it. I didn't find the Rock Lords particularly compelling I think I was sort of getting out of the transforming robot craze, and the idea of transforming rocks really just didn't appeal to me. You 
control their appearance, but no force in the universe can contain the power and the fury of Rock Lord. Shaking, quaking, crashing, breaking, Rock Lord. As I said, I did not collect the Rock Lord toys, but they did last for a while. They weren't successful, but they would get three series of releases. And there's a lot of stuff online about unreleased Rock Lords playsets. The idea of powerful living rocks didn't appeal to me back then. But as I've gotten older, I kind of like those niche toys. And so if I were going to collect something, I started looking at the Rock Lords thinking, oh, this would be kind of a fun toy line to collect, but it has its collectors and fans. So as you might guess, it's not easy to find. The more I started looking at the Rock Lords, the more excited I kind of became about it. But maybe that's something I'll talk about in the future. Music for the film was done by Hoyt Curtin, who provided the music for the TV show. They did create some other GoBots material, including a video game, Challenge of the GoBots sometimes known as Challenge of the Gobots on the Mobius Strip. It was created by Tony Crother and Ross Goodley. It was published by Reactor for the Amstrad CPC, the ZX Spectrum, and the Commodore 64. According to the package, the story of it is, Dr. Braxis has built an artificial planet called Mobius on the far side of Saturn as a trap so he and the renegades can destroy the Guardians. To lure them there, they kidnap Turbo, Matt, AJ, and Nick. However, Turbo is able to message to Leader One and Scooter before he is immobilized by Braxis's anti-move ray. The game itself is a horizontal one-player scrolling game, kind of a shoot-em-up. Reminds me of Defender. I had never played it before and fired it up on my mister. It is a difficult game, very challenging, but it has a lot of potential. Sadly, it might be just a bit too challenging, but the graphics and music more than make up for trying to take up that challenge. And it does have great music by Ben Daglish. Daglish was born in 66. He passed away in 2018. An English composer and musician created a lot of great music for video games. If you want to hear some fun music from the time, just search Ben Daglish on YouTube. Pulls up a lot of great music. They would create other games, a GoBots board game to begin with, which is a pretty simple spin and move game where you're racing around the board trying to get to the command center. You can transform, which makes you move quickly. It's about the only decision you could sort of make. Otherwise, it's really more of a game for kids. They also did a card game that has really cool art on it. Unlike the Transformers, the GoBots did not have a comic book at the time. The closest they had was GoBots Magazine and two golden books that they put out. The magazine was a quarterly that had five issues in 86 and 87. A lot of very simple stories weren't that great, but this is the closest you're going to get if you were a GoBots fan to the comic book. And it really demonstrates how important the comic book was to the growth of the Transformer mythology. The two golden books are a little bit more interesting because of the artist involved, who was Steve Ditko who was the co-creator of Spider-Man. He also created Doctor Strange, and he would work as the illustrator on these books, which were written by longtime collaborator Robin Snyder. In 2018, IDW would put out a mini-series, five issues, about the GoBots that was written by Tom Scioli, who also made American Barbarian and Transformers vs. G.I. Joe. And it's a whole reimagining of the GoBots franchise using some of the characters, but altering them. It's pretty good. I would love to have seen this pulled into the regular continuity. It definitely is a grittier and almost Transformer-like take on the GoBots. But with the GoBots being servants who rise up to fight against their oppressors, namely us humans, 
it's actually kind of nice to see it taken more seriously. If you look in Transformers comics, sometimes Psych Hill appears there often as a joke character, someone they could kill as a recurring joke. Ah, uh, yes, we killed Psych Hill again. I get it. The GoBots are terrible. The Transformers are great. Not my favorite joke because I think over time I've come to respect the GoBots and the creativity that went into them. It's kind of easy to look back and see why the GoBots failed. Although it wasn't necessarily easy at the time, as I've said, a lot of adults thought the GoBots were going to be a big deal. And a lot of kids did too. And a lot of them collected them. And they were left flat by this toy, unlike the Transformers, which continued to grow and is referenceable to people for years afterwards, including now when they're still making movies. Sadly, it's difficult to think of one without the other, especially to talk about the GoBots without talking about the Transformers. But in the cutthroat world of children's toys and entertainment, there's really only room for one transforming toy line, as it turns out, and it was the Transformers. And I've thought a lot about why. Why the GoBots over the Transformers? Is it just quality? Were the Transformers so much better than the GoBots? That could be it. Certainly the comic book helped, and the cartoon was more interesting. It was maybe a little edgier. I often think back to my time when I bought Atari games, and I would look at the box, and the promise of the box was so much better in some ways than the game, and my imagination filled in the blanks. And I wonder if the Transformers were guilty of that as well. Were they just seemingly more ambitious looking? Was the cartoon more complicated? Were the animations better compared to what you were seeing in the GoBots? Because the GoBot animation is great, but it's also kind of kid-like, and the level of transforming on the toys is a bit simpler for some of the toys. So I wonder if they just sold the imagination angle better on the Transformers. It's hard to know exactly what caused it, but we do know the end result, and that is that the Transformers were ultimately victorious. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't respect the GoBots and hope that maybe one day we'll see more of them. There's a kind of interesting storyline that parallels the Transformers. They are owned by the same company, and they do appear from time to time. And as we see from the IDW work, they can be made compelling. So hopefully one day we'll see it. In the meantime, you can go out there and start collecting, or you can watch the cartoons or check out some of the other published material. I think you'll get a kick out of it, and I think you'll say, hmm, I could have collected the GoBots. And you could have. Just hope your cousin doesn't steal them. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. If you'd like to support the show, you could do so by giving it a 5-star review wherever you download the show. It's really those 5-star reviews that help the show be found, so I'd really appreciate it if you could do that. If you'd like to support the show further, you can drop by Patreon. I'm at patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus tracks, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord, the greatest retro community on the internet. I'd like to thank some supporters, Nicholas Gale, Brent Dollins, Brandon Leverins, Dave Caffrey, Matt Moore, Sika85, Center Reinhardt, Pricehorn, Richard Humphreys, and I'd like to also thank everyone over in the Retroist Discord, the Retroist Clubhouse, it was really their discussion of the Transformers and the GoBots that pushed me to want to do this episode. So thanks to everyone there and for everybody's continued support. Thanks for listening to the show. 
and I hope you have a great weekend. This has been a Retro's production. Goodbye.